Well, good morning, Grace. How we doing? Good. I want to start off before we start talking about our psalm for today. And just a reminder, we're doing psalms throughout the summer. And today we're going to be talking about 46. But before we start, I just want to give a big shout out to all the dads in the room this morning. Yo, come on. Being a dad is hard. Amen, dads? It's hard. It, it, can, it can be exhausting. It can be difficult. It can be trying. Um, it can be a struggle. But being a dad is the greatest thing in the world at the same time. And I just, I just love Father's Day because we get to celebrate me. Um, and so... Like we said with this series, today we're talking in Psalms 46, and uh, this psalm is actually a psalm about the return of Christ. Uh, bum, 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 you know, and, uh, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that today, and in preparation for this psalm, uh, I actually have been doing some research, and today I will be predicting the exact date that will happen. Some of you are like nervously laughing, some of you know I'm joking, um, but when in, my, in, my, uh, in my time of study for this, picking this exact date, I realized we have a long time. We have a long time because in my studies, it seemed to be tied to the Raiders winning a Super Bowl. <laughs> so we have a long time. It's a dad joke for you, yeah? Uh, it's Father's Day. But this is what this psalm is. This psalm is a psalm about the return of Christ. And it's easy when we discuss this topic to, to look at the size of this topic and approach it with a, a fearful mindset or a what if or a what do I do. And really what this psalm is doing is it's giving us the posture of how we should live knowing this truth. Knowing that Christ will return knowing how he's gonna return as it's described a little bit in this song. It, it's it's an it's a introduction or an instruction on how we as the Christ follower should live or how we as the, the one who is not following Christ, how we should respond to this truth if we believe it's true. And when it comes to 46th Psalm, I found this amazing quote uh, by John Trapp. It says this, he's talking about Luther here. He says, Luther, when in his greatest distress, was one to call for this psalm, saying, let us sing the 46th psalm in concert and then let the devil do his worst. How cool is that? That's just like, yeah, that's some, that's some tough guy stuff. Let's sing a song. And then after we sing these truths, let the devil try. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but this is, that's the kind of posture I like want to walk around with a little bit. A little bit of just, you know, let me, let me speak the truths of God over my life and then devil, go ahead. Give it a shot. And, and really the psalm portrays three basic uh, areas, three basic truths. Uh, in this psalm, the first thing it portrays is this. A summary of the psalm. The first one is this. It talks about a present help, that God is a present helper. The second uh, truth it tells us is that he is a sovereign ruler. And then the third truth is this, that he is a victorious king. And you'll kind of see this flow throughout this psalm. And since it's Father's Day, I'm going to make a commitment that I'm going to end this sermon at least 30 seconds early um, for you dads. Okay? Don't hold me to that. Um, but as we break through the psalm, we're going to break down this psalm line by line. Sound good? Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. God is our refuge. I just want to pause there for a second. 
Why is it important that God is described as a refuge here? God is our refuge. In this context, especially when this was written, refuge meant a place where people would go when they had tried everything else. Their last resort was this refuge. There was refuge cities, there was refuge places. People would be running for their life and they would run to where? Their refuge. When God is described as our refuge, it's saying that we as human beings are designed by God that when we are in the midst of struggles, when we are in the midst of trials, we are supposed to run to him. All creatures have a, have a refuge. All creatures have a refuge. Every animal on earth has a place where they will run when times get hard. You know, like uh, animals have their, their homes, their burrows, their dens. You know, men have a man cave. Um, you know, we even call it a cave, like a den. You know, women, you have your she dens. You know, we all have these refuges, these places, these places we will run to. But I think it's important as we look through this psalm, sometimes it's not just places we will run to. Sometimes we'll run to things. It can be substances, it can be people, and we will run to them as our safe place, our refuge. We have to know as believers, as human beings, we are designed to run to God in that moment. We are designed to run to our refuge, just like the refuge cities of old. When we face trials, it is not time to run to, to, to drinking. It's not time to run to other things that pop into our life. It's not time to run for fun. It's time to run to God. It's time to run to your refuge and get on your hands and knees and just be with him. That's what we're designed to do. It then says he's our refuge and he's also what? Our strength. I love this. Because he is our refuge, he is our safe place, our safe heaven, haven, but he is also strong. He, he, is, he is both safe and strong. He, he is both at the same time. And then as you continue to read, it says he's always ready to help in time of trouble. Always ready to help. Other translations will, will say, other translations will say that he's an ever-present helper, that he's present, he's strong. He's safe and he's present. He's an ever-present helper. I think sometimes when we look at God, when we look at our, our vision of who God is and what he means to us in our life, we view him as somebody who, who is very far off. That, that there has to be a system or a structure to encounter him, to go to him, to, to, to talk to him in times of need. When we read the scripture, we're reminded that he is present. He is not distant. He is not way off. He is not only available on Sundays. He is not like the DMV where you have to get a ticket and wait in line to get your number called to talk to him. He is the ever-present helper. He's present with us daily. How amazing is that? He's present daily. You know, it's like, it's like sometimes I wonder if he's just looking at us. And he's like, guys, I'm right here. Yeah, my, my daughter Willow, uh, she's a sweetheart, but she's terrified of bugs. Terrified of bugs. And I don't just mean like she's scared. I mean, she is horrifically terrified. Good thing we live in Reno, Nevada, right? And so she's terrified. And the other night, uh, it was her bath time. And I get the bath started. She's about ready to get in. I leave the room and I head out. And then I hear a horrific scream. I mean, when I say horrific, I thought something horrible was happening. I was like, I run in, or in my case, like a fast-paced walk. And 
I get there and she's just standing there like breaking down and screaming, Daddy, there's a bug, there's a bug in the tub. In the, uh, my mind automatically went to Dr. Zeus, bug in the tub, how about under the rug? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm like, no, I'm like, okay, be a dad here. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? And she's screaming, screaming. I go look in the tub, no joke, this bug is huge. It's like this big. I don't know what it was. But here's what happens, she's screaming, she's screaming, she's not even acknowledging I'm there. I walk up, I grab something, I kill the bug, I wrap it up in a paper towel, I dispose of it, it's gone. She's still screaming. (laughs) Dad, but there's a bug! No, there's not! There's a bug, it's right there! No, there's not! I'm here, I helped, I'm here, and I started to think, I wonder how often we do this when it comes to our helper, our Father in heaven, God. How often he is present helping us, but we are so caught up in the panic of life or the panic of the moment, we don't even see the work he's already done or already doing. We get so caught up in panic mode or fear, and we're like crying and weeping, like, God, where are you? I'm here. I'm moving. Don't you see this? We have to remember that he's present and he's moving. Amen? He's both our, he's all three, refuge, strength, and help. And when I think of this, when I read verse one, what it says to me, if I truly believe he's refuge, he's safe, he is strength and all-powerful, and he's an ever-present helper, why is there any logical to let fear into my life? Any logical reason to allow fear into my life if I believe these truths? There is none. There is none. Even in the biggest crisis, even in the hardest situations, the most, the trying times, I need to let these three truths be real in my life. I mean, even if something like this happens in verse two of Psalm 46. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. We will not fear even when there's earthquakes. Even, even as the mountains crumble, let them, let them, because my God, who I serve and I worship, is my refuge, my strength, and my ever-present helper. Let them surge. Let them go. That's what it's saying here. So why would I not fear? We will not fear the worst of the worst. Why should I? We, we can become very scared. Any scaredy cats in the room? I'll be one too. Some of you aren't raising your hand because you're scared. (laughs) The truth is this. We can become so scared and we can become so panicked. When I read Psalms 46 in verses 2 and 3 especially, so why? Why will we not fear? The truths of verse 1. So we will not fear when the worst of the worst comes. When the worst of the worst comes, and then you pass down, just to jump down to number six, verse six. The nations are in chaos, and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders, and the earth melts. The earth melts. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. But I want to go back to this first part. The nations are in what? Chaos. Anybody believe that? Yeah, nations are in chaos. They always have been. The world has been in constant, constant rebellion from the very beginning. 
The nations are in chaos. Everything feels like it's falling apart. Everything feels broken. Everything feels off. Everything feels like it's in the wrong place. Relationships feel different. Life feels different. Countries feel different. Everything is in chaos and rage and anger. And then God's voice thunders. God's voice thunders. God's voice is above it all. The voice of God is above any chaos we see in a day to day. The voice of God is over not just the chaos of the nations in the world, but also our personal chaos. I mean, we saw Kendall's story last week as she is currently in a battle with cancer. Currently in a battle with cancer. So is my friend Lonnie here. As they battle this, God's voice is over everything. That's what this line means here, that God's voice speaks, it thunders, and the earth melts. God's voice melts the chaos. It's stronger than the chaos. What it's really trying to drive home here is not necessarily just the melting piece, but the strength of the voice. Man, I wonder how often in the church we need to be reminded that our God's voice is strong. The strength of the voice, that it's over the chaos, it's over the kingdoms, it's over the problems. His voice is strong. Do you guys realize this? I don't know, most of you are probably just great biblical scholars, so you get this and you believe it every day and your life looks this way and you believe this, that the God you serve created this whole entire universe. He pulled mountains out from nothing. He put stars in the sky and put the waves and the ocean in the perfect place so we could go to Hawaii on vacation and have a beautiful time. God created the heavens and the earth and everything within it. And then we see chaos in our day to day and we say, I wonder if he's big enough to help. I wonder, I wonder if it's gonna be okay. I wonder if it's gonna work out. I wonder if he's in charge. Everything feels broken. His voice alone is greater than anything on this earth. His voice alone is greater. Then it goes on to read in verse seven. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us and the God of Israel is our fortress. This is another reminder of his strength and his sovereignty. The Lord of heaven's armies. When you look at the word Lord, it's translated to Yahweh Sabbat, and it means the host of heaven. The Lord, or the host of heaven, his armies are among us. The magnitude of him, that he is over both heaven and earth. Aren't you glad that you serve a God? who is over all things, that my life is not determined by my doing, but I serve a God who is over my life, that it's not just how hard I work or how well I do that determines my worth on this earth, but it is who he is and what he is over. He's the Lord of heaven's, of heaven's armies, the, the, the host of heaven. And then it goes on here to say, the God of Israel in verse seven. The God of Israel also can be translated to the God of Jacob. Why is this important in verse seven? Why is it here? Because you can kind of see the transition we're going on in this, this verse, in this psalm. 
We're talking about who God is, the characteristics of God, the, the ever-present helper, the place of refuge, the one who is strong. And we're transitioning to, okay, now there's stuff going on. He's intervening. He's coming. And why is it important that this verse is in here? The God, the God of Israel or the God of Jacob, why this is important? Because through all of the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, you'll read this. When referred to God, they'll often remind you what he's done before. Okay, think about this. He's the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of David. Why are they doing this? Why is this happening? Because it, we need reminders that God has been here the whole time. And he's not different today than he was then. He's the same God, the same God. The same God of Israel is the same God of today. The same God who moved and created in the book of Genesis is the same God today. The same God that made dry bones live is the same God today. The, the same God who, who rose Lazarus from the grave is the same God today. And the same God who conquered sin and death, creating an opportunity for us to spend eternity with him is the same God today. This is important because we need this reminder. We have songs about it. Oddly enough, the song's called Same God. Here's some of the lyrics. You heard your children then, and you hear your children now. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer prayers now. You are the same God. Gosh, as I read this psalm, it stirs up so much in us because it's acknowledging the chaos and the hardships of life and the world we're living in, but it's pushing us to remember that we serve the same God. We do not need to fear. In fact, our posture should not be fear. Our posture should not be fear. It should be confidence in him, trust in him. And since it's Father's Day, I wanted to speak to the dads for a little bit. Is that cool? You guys can listen too. Um, when it comes to this, dads, you have the opportunity every day to show your families, to show your kids, to show your spouse what it looks like to trust God in chaotic times. What this world needs, what this world needs, what our city needs, what our kids need, is a dad who's willing to stand in the midst of chaos and not panic and not fear, but get on his knees and glorify God in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of hardships and brokenness to say, when the whole, everything feels like it's falling around, we are not running around panicking, but we are standing firm in the midst of the storm saying that my God is my refuge, my strength, and my ever-present helper, amen? Amen. Okay, now everybody else can listen. We need, we need people who are willing to say, everyone in here, who are willing to say that no matter what is thrown at us, no matter what the world looks like, no matter what hardships I face, no matter what brokenness, no matter what my, my marriage feels like right now, no matter what hardship I'm having at work, I am going to choose to trust that my God is the same God today as he was yesterday. And the more we do that, it, it starts to have reflections in our life. 
I mean, does our life reflect this truth? Does our life reflect this truth in the form of our actions? When it comes to our trust in God, does our life reflect it with our actions? I'm just gonna have a little bit of an honest moment here. I mean, I'm always honest, but I wanna just have a moment here. When I, sometimes when I view the church and us as Christians today, there's a lot of stuff going on in our world. There's a lot of hard stuff, and I just think we're just running around in panic mode. What's happening? Can you believe this? Uh Oh no, what's going on? Our actions as Christians should not be a posture of panic, but a posture of trust. Speak truth, speak truth, but don't speak it from a posture of panic and fear. Speak it from a posture of trust in an almighty God. So it, it, our, it, our, our life should reflect it with our words, the way we treat people, the way we, we, we talk to people. You ever heard this saying, sticks and stones will what? But words will never hurt me. Lie. It's a complete lie. You know, a complete lie. You know how many times as a kid I was called big boned? It hurt. Okay? It hurt. You know, words can hurt. And we have to, if we are going to live this way, our life should reflect it in the way we are communicating. Not just co- communicating our view towards people, but our view of the world. Are we speaking of a hopeful return of Jesus Christ? Or are we speaking more on just the negative and current things that are struggles in our world? Do we speak these truths? Does our life reflect that? That we trust Jesus? And then here, as we get into verse 8, we're going to start to see a transition in the psalm. We're gonna start to see a transition in the psalm where we've gone from the characteristics of God and who he is to to his sovereignty and now we're gonna see him as the victorious king. As we hear what it will look like, what's happening here. Psalms 46, verse eight. Come see the glorious work of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear and he burns the shields with fire. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. What this verse is doing here in verses eight and nine is it's painting a picture for us. I found a quote that puts this perfectly this week. It's painting the picture of the battlefield, of what's to come, what's to come when Christ comes back What's happening, it's painting a picture of this battlefield and it's showing us, it's painting this idea of what it's gonna look like to be against him and and it's what the battlefield's gonna look like. We're seeing this picture, but the reason this verse is important and why this painting is important is because we need to realize what side we are on. That as we view this visual, if you are a Christ follower, you are standing with God, looking at the other side and seeing the truth of what has happened. And it should cause in us, if this is truth, it should cause in us to ask this question, what side am I on? Am I with God? Does my life look like it? In this battlefield painting, where would I be? In verses 10 and 11, a verse many of us know, says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Be still. Be still and know what? That I am God. Oftentimes, I just want to say this. 
Oftentimes we take this passage out of Psalms 46 and we misinterpret it. We misinterpret this because we read this psalm after we've just read of the chaos to come and we interpret it as, okay, well, I'm called to be still. That means I'm called to be zenful, relaxed, chill, not moving. In the midst of all this, that's my posture. But I want to read you this quote from Boyce here. It says this. In this setting, be still and know that I am God is not advice to us to lead a contemplative life, however important that may be. It means, rather, lay down your arms and surrender and acknowledge that I am the one and only victorious God. What this be still here is saying, it's a call to surrender. It's a call to see the truth of Jesus in his return. It's called to see the truth of these passages and to surrender everything. This is a call to surrender for both the believer and the unbeliever. To hear the truth of Jesus as the unbeliever, to hear the truth of his second coming and our response is to not, to not try harder, to not do more, to not have more actions or works. Our only response is to surrender. To be still is to surrender here. It, it's, it's what the posture is calling us into. And we must surrender everything. We must surrender our lives. We must surrender our life, denying ourselves. To be still, it's a call to surrender my life to Christ completely. To make him the ruler of my life. The one who is over my life and I live in constant submission and surrender to him. The truth is, is we, we are good at surrendering sometimes. Right? So we, like, I, sometimes we're good, like hey, Sunday comes along and I'm singing that song, I give you all. I give you all. Great. Who just laughed? That was great. The tone was perfect. I give you all. We sing it, we sing it, we sing it, we sing it. And then we leave and Monday it's like, nope, now it's my time. Nope, not your will, but my will be done. God, let, 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 let me live my life how I want. Let me, let me have my life. Let me, let me fill my dreams. Let me have all these things. And we are called in this psalm, especially as the return of Christ is on the horizon. That truth is true. It's coming. It's coming. We don't know when, but it is coming. Our life is a call to daily surrender. Not just once, not just every once in a while, but daily surrender of our life. It's a surrender of our wants. What we want in life Man, like it's surrendering, like I, I, I know I want this, but I'm gonna choose to not have this so I can better honor God here. Is having once in life bad? You guys are like, I don't know. <laughs> like, we all have wants. We all have things our heart desires after. I love that because it gives us every time we want something to make a choice to say, do I really want this? Or is this something I need to give up to better honor God with? We have to give up our wants and surrender our wants. And then most of all, when reading Psalms 46, it's a surrender of our fears. It's a surrender of our fears. It's being in the midst of a scary situation or a scary life, and instead of choosing to live fearful, choosing to surrender it to an almighty God. 
How much different would our day look if when we were scared, when we were fearful, when rent is due, when the job and the company is struggling, when my spouse is ready to leave, when my kids are going off to high school or college, when I turn on my news channel and I see brokenness and destruction, when I have those moments of fear, how much different would our life be if instead of staying in fear and instead of staying in panic, we chose to be still and surrender and say, God, I give you this fear today. I am scared, God, but I'm giving it to you and I'm trusting you with the outcome. I'm giving you this area of my life and I'm trusting you. How much different would our day be? And then verse 11, the last verse here, closes out with this. The Lord of heaven's armies is here. Among us, the God of Israel is our fortress. The Lord of heaven's armies is here. Among us. How amazing is it that God is here? That he's moving. That he's with us. That when we face these things, we don't face them alone. I found this story of John Wesley and that when it comes to God being here with us. I found this story that talks on the day that he died. On the day he died, John Wesley had already nearly lost his voice and could be understood with only the most difficulty. But at the last, with all of his strength he could summon, Wesley suddenly called out, the best of all, God is with us. Then raising his hands slightly and waving them in triumph, he exclaimed again with every ounce of fiber he had left. With his last words, he screamed as only he could, the best of all, God is with us. The best of all, God is with us. What Psalms 46 is trying to get us to the point of is getting to this point that we begin to proclaim this truth that no matter what happens, no matter what the world looks like, no matter what decisions are made, no matter what trials I face, the best of all is God is with us. When the nations roar and they crumble, when, when people fight and yell, the best of all is God is with us. When I wake up every day and I'm in the midst of a fight for my livelihood, the best of all, God is with us. When I wake up and I give my life to Christ that one time and I surrender my life to him for the rest of my life, I get to say the best of all is Christ is with us in our city, in our state. When we look at things and we're like, ah, what's happening? All this stuff is going on. The best of all is God is with us. What we need to be as the church is hear me out, church. Hear my heart in this. What we need to be is this posture every day. Because when people are panicked, when people are scared, they're not looking for other panicked people to help them. 
They're not looking for other scared or terrified people to help them. What's going to make an impact in our city, in our states, in our lives, in our families is gonna be the Christians that believe Psalm 46 and will stand in the midst of the trial and say things, yes, I see your frustrations, I see the hardships, I see how broken it is, but guess what? The best of all is God is with us. That's where we need to be as believers. Why is it the best? Why is it the best? Because he is a mighty God. He's great and mighty. He's all powerful. So no matter what you are walking through, the best of all, God is with you. Why don't we do this? Let's close like this. Why does everybody just lift your hands up like this? If you're able, lift your hands up. Just like John Wesley did as he yelled those last words. We're gonna pray this prayer and declare this truth over our life. Father God, we come before you. We come before you with our hands raised in a posture of surrender, proclaiming that we will not live in fear. We will not live in panic. We will not live timid or scared lives. We will live our lives in the posture of being still and surrendering, saying over and over again, the best of all is that you are with us. Remind us of that daily, God. Remind us of that daily, that we have the greatest thing in the world, the fact that you are with us. We can take on any trial, any hardship, any brokenness, because you are with us. Remind us of that truth every day. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.